welcome everyone here. And uh, I get to do the uh, teaching this morning. I'm delighted. I uh, want to comment that uh, on Tuesday, someone's asked me whether I'm back yet. And the answer is no, I haven't left. But on Tuesday, I'm going to uh, head off to Poland. And I think there's a slide that will show the family that I'll be visiting with. There they are. Mark and Naomi are on the left there. Mark is holding the camera, I'm sure. And that's Naomi next to them. They worked with me in uh, young adult or the children's let me just get activated here, in the youth ministry at the First Evangelical Free Church in Vancouver years ago. They married out of Multnomah, and uh, that's their daughter looking at us on the right side of the slide, and another daughter is uh, eating something there. That's her. Uh, those are the two daughters, and the rest are Ukrainian refugees. That lady uh, next to Lydia uh, is... Um, uh, I think she's, yeah, her face fairly shows there. Uh, she is, has adopted a group of young women, uh, these children. And so she has six kids, and they're staying there from Ukraine. And the church which, which, with uh, which Mark uh, and Naomi are involved have doubled their services uh, because of the number of Ukrainian refugees. And they're well inland. They're south of Wuj uh, in a place called Piotrkov Trybunovsky, about 250 miles from the border with Ukraine. But the impact is still uh, widespread, and uh, you can just see this. So uh, the question I have is, where am I going to stay? Because they only have so big a house. I may have to stay in the local Best Western uh, we'll see about that. But yeah, prayers are welcome. I leave on Tuesday, come back uh, a little over a week later, and I'm looking forward, that, forward to that opportunity. I've got a whole bunch of books here. I need a bigger platform. So um, prayers are welcome for that. Let me pray for our time together here this morning. Let's just, just bow our hearts. Father, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts in a special way. We thank you already for the celebration we've had of Palm Sunday. 2,000 years ago, roughly 2,000 years ago, and that we can still celebrate that today. We look forward to the Good Friday service that's coming up, the weightiness of that, the profound uh, nature of recognizing that Jesus, uh, you were put to death on that Friday so many, so many years ago. But then on Sunday, you came back from the dead. You were resurrected, and we celebrate that next Sunday on Easter. So we thank you for your work your graciousness and your kindness, and we, um, we thank you in our time together here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, yeah, Palm Sunday, it's a, it's a great celebration, and um, I've had a chance to be in Israel and uh, be there for a Palm Sunday, but today the Israelis don't really wave palms around. That was, uh, you have to go to a, a, a Christian church somewhere and uh, that's the joy, though, of being in the place where all of these things occurred. One of the things uh, I, I'll do, I brought a, a history book here. I'll be talking a little history. So I've got Josephus with me, who is a guy who was uh, a Jew who then turned, was a turncoat and started working with the Romans against the Jews during one of the early revolution, revolutionary periods. There was this great revolution soon after Jesus went back to be with the Father, and uh, that led to the slaughter of Jews at Matsada. Well, Josephus uh, it was in a place called Gamala, 
and was one of the generals. And everyone was killed, and he went ahead and cast lots to see as they did a mass suicide. They realized they couldn't ho hold off the Romans anymore, so they cast lots to see of the two generals who were left who would, uh, you know, be the one that would commit uh, self-suicide uh, over against killing the other guy. And uh, Josephus uh, was the one that was supposed to commit suicide, and after he killed his companion, he went out and surrendered. So he's not highly regarded by the Jews uh, since he was a turncoat general. And he, but he then went out on with a career. Oh, about the time his life would have overlapped much with the, the, Paul the Apostle during that period of time. He goes out and he tries to teach the Romans about the Jewish beliefs and the writings of Josephus, his complete works, are a historical source that overlaps with biblical times and materials. So some of what we'll look at this morning will actually be endorsed or elaborated by Josephus. So I'll lay this down since it's a big clunker. Uh, but that's the kind of thing. I want to make it clear that for me, one of the great joys of life has been to go to Israel on a number of occasions. And I have on my cell phone a picture. I brought it along if anyone wants to see it of underwater archaeology that I got to do in Caesarea. Uh, Maritima, which is on the coast there, where in that work I was sitting, I have a picture of myself sitting on a concrete wall that was poured by Herod the Great, the Herod that was trying to kill Jesus. He brought in engineers, poured concrete. It was special Roman concrete. You could pour it in water and it would harden in the water. So I'm sitting there on some of Herod's concrete and my scuba gear and we were doing the archaeological diving at the base of that concrete pier, trying to find out what was at the bottom. In the course of that, we found some of the wooden forms under sand that we vacuumed away. And so here are wooden forms that were formed, uh, built by Herod's engineers about 30 years before Christ was born. So whoever traced, trained uh, Joseph, the, the stepfather of Jesus, in carpentry, probably was working on the big financially funded, well-funded military project only 30 miles away from Nazareth there at Caesarea. And so when we found the wooden forms still present underwater from that many years ago, I took my glove off and went and ran my hand over this wooden form from that period of time. So the reason I want to comment on all of this is I'm going to throw in a little bit of historical reflection today because a lot of times we feel like, a, you know, the, oh, the Star Wars a long time ago and the universe far away as if it's an unreal fantasy story, and that certainly is true of the Star Wars. Well, the Bible is not a long time ago in a universe far, far away. It is a place that has tangible continuity. I was sitting on the concrete that Herod poured, and you can go there yourself and see some of these things. And so what we're going to talk about tonight or today, and we'll be reflecting on Good Friday, and we'll be reflecting on, on it next Easter, really happened. They were true events, and we have historical resources available that carry us back to that. And uh, we just want to comment on that, that this is a profound reality that we have as a foundation for our faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about the faith issue, because a lot of us, as we think of faith, are in various locations. We're in different places as we think about faith. And as we talk this morning, I want to look at the passage 
and see three different points of view, three versions of faith that um, we have in the text before us. It's a long text. I'm pl let me just read the whole text. We'll pick it up in 517 and run all the way to the end of the chapter. So let me just read it. You can follow it on the screen. Uh, but the high priest, this is the English Standard Version, rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, fill, were filled with jealousy. So the high priest, and this we know is Caiaphas, we find elsewhere in Acts, and we also see him cited in John, for instance, 11, where he's the one who says, let's make sure we kill Jesus. Uh, and he is then, one figure we'll look at, Caiaphas, and we'll keep your eyes in, or your ears open for Gamaliel, who is going to come up later in the text. And then I'm also going to talk about the apostles, particularly Peter, who seems to have been the primary spokesman, but he and John were partnered and representing the apostles and the believers. So three different points of view. Let me continue. Uh, uh, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord, who certainly had his own point of view, uh, opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people uh, all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at uh, daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest, that would have been Caiaphas, uh, came and those who were with him, they called together the council. So this would have been the Sanhedrin. And this was the uh, body of uh, religious authorities that would have really found their foundation back in the time of Moses when he selected 70 leaders. And so this idea of having 70 elders to lead the country was left in place when the Romans took over and provided political and military rule over the land. They said, we'll let the Jews order their own religion. So the Sanhedrin continued with that role, but they did not have capital punishment under their authority. They were not allowed to kill people. They could stone someone to death in a spontaneous function of responding or reacting to blasphemy, but you would probably have to go through an investigation afterwards to see if it was legitimate. That was not a safe thing to do. All of that to say that uh, now when the high priest came out, they met in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, by the way, and I'll just keep adding my historical data here, we know from Josephus it was made up of members, a group called the Essenes, who are not, are not mentioned in the New Testament, but we know from uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we know from Josephus, were a prominent party, and they seem not to have tangled with Jesus. They stood more at the edge. We have the Pharisees, who we've just talked about, and the Sadducees. We've mentioned them before. They didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. And, but that was it. They, they were, had a narrower version of what the proper view of faith would be in terms of the biblical content that they drew upon. So the, the high priest had this group around him called the Sadducees. But to ever have something to bring to Pilate, you'd have to have a consensus among the three parties, the Essenes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And if there was fundamental disagreement, then they lost the ability to go with the authority of a combined consensus. So that's his context here. Let me continue. The... Uh, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak, and when the high priest came, they, and those who were with him, they called the council and all the senate uh, of the people, the Sanhedrin, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported it. And by the way, the Sanhedrin's in session. 
they thought it was just, you know, a matter of a few minutes to bring these guys in. And in come the shame-faced guards who are going, whoops, something went wrong here. And we pick it up here. Uh, we opened uh, the gates. The guards were there. The prison doors were securely locked. But when we opened up, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were perplexed, wondering what this would come to. And then someone said, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and are teaching the people. And the captain and the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Oh, guess what? You are starting to see a change of popular views of Christianity. Now, remember, thousands of people would have gone up to hear Jesus preach when he's in the Galilee. And Jesus, when he was coming down for the various feasts and the events in Jerusalem, we're talking about a three-day distance by hiking between the area of Nazareth, uh, where we have the Sea of Galilee, and Jerusalem. It's a little bit of a hike. And uh, so in those two locations, people from Jerusalem, it said, would go up and hear him preach and speak. But they weren't necessarily ready to respond to him. So that we only have the, the, the crowd of 120 followers there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. So not that many people are ready to follow, but they are intrigued. And when they hear about the resurrection, guess what happens? The word spread. So back in chapter, uh, let me just skip backwards here. You can see I'm very slow in my reading. Uh, we pick it up in chapter 2, verse uh, 41. So those who received the word as they were preaching, Peter in the, was preaching uh, about the resurrection, those who received the word were bapt and were baptized were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then they have their first hearing before the Sanhedrin. So the event we're looking at, reading about right now, is their second hearing before the Sanhedrin. The first one, they were told, quit talking about Jesus, do you understand? And they said, well, whether to listen to you or to God, consider who we really should listen to. And as a result, they went out and did some further preaching, chapter 4, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to, it doesn't say women and children or young, young adults, but the number of men, the numbering unit of that day, would have been about 5,000. So now we're up to over 8,000, perhaps as many as 10,000 people in Jerusalem and that's what's making the folks at the Sanhedrin a little nervous. We've got a lot of people who've changed their point of view because of the resurrection. And that's a thumping point I want to make today. So we pick it up here in the text again. Where did I leave off? Not by force. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. So verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, we found that before the prior hearing, they had confronted, uh, after they'd healed the man who had been lame from birth, they healed him, and they were told to quit speaking, and they charged in that setting uh, the Sanhedrin with having killed, as, uh, to quote verse 15 in chapter 3, the author of life whom God raised from the dead. You think we're going to be quiet about that? The author of life, the one who created you. 
the one who sustains your life, you killed him. But of course, death couldn't hold him because he's the author of life. Do you not get it? So that's why thousands of people are going, he is raised from the dead. Oh, that just doesn't happen every day. And that caught people's attention. Thousands of people were starting to be converted because the evidence was in. So uh, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, but Peter and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. So here they're restating what they had said back in the first hearing. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And um, by the way, Paul will pick that up in Galatians. Anyone who's been hung on a tree has been accursed by God. That goes back to Deuteronomy 21. And he says, that's what you did. You had Jesus treated as one accursed. Well, I'll tell you what, he swallowed. This is Paul preaching Galatians, so I'm cheating. Uh, he died because of your being accursed for your sins. That's what he did on the cross. And you're the ones who put him there, so we're not going to sit here and affirm you as somehow in roles of leadership over us. Uh, so... Um, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, what happened at the start of the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit came down and lived, came upon, lived within, entered into the lives of the followers in a way that was as dramatic as the temples and the tabernacle of earlier days being dedicated when the fiery presence, the Shekinah of God came. That was the kind of fire, tongues of fire above the heads of the disciples. The witness of the Holy Spirit was not just something fanciful. It was as real as anything that has ever happened in our lives. When we have the elements, for instance, that we'll celebrate later on, we are dealing with through the Holy Spirit participating in the event, a genuine remembrance of the body and blood of Jesus Christ being given on our behalf. So all of these things are uh, present here. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee, now remember we saw earlier that the party of Sadducees were affiliated with the high priest. Now we have a Pharisee, again, the group of the Sanhedrin would have been divided among these two major parties with the third party included the Essenes. And um, this Pharisee is named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. Now, I'm going to mention bringing in Josephus because he will talk about some of the rabbinic leaders of earlier generations, and one of whom was the great leader Hillel. Gamaliel, we know from Josephus, was the grandson of this great Hillel, one of the great teachers, rabbinic teachers. And so Gamaliel is not an unknown figure in history. He is spoken of by Josephus and in the Jewish writings. And uh, as a result, uh, we know that he has genuine substantial status in the day. And so instead of voting for uh, stoning or going to Pilate for per approval to kill uh, uh, the apostles, 
uh, he said, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside of the council. He doesn't want them to hear his defense. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and killed an, uh, and a number of uh, men. About 400 joined him, and he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Then after that, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, perhaps the same census where uh, uh, Joseph and Mary had to leave Nazareth and go down to have the census in Bethlehem. So this earlier period of time, there had been a revolution, and it says... Um, they drew many people away after them, and all who followed them were scattered. In the present case, then, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if the plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called on the apostles, they beat them, probably the 40 lashes less one, 39 lashes, and then sent them out. Um, and charged them again not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And when the apostles left the um, presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then we finally conclude here. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, and listen to the word here, the wording here, that the Christ is Jesus not Jesus is the Christ, but the Christ is Jesus. They were anticipating the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, and they said, the Christ has come, it is Jesus. And they're celebrating that. So let's see if we can capsulize this. Let's go back to Caiaphas. Uh, what kind of faith did Caiaphas have? Well, he had a faith. He had a faith in the institutions of religion, the form of religion. And even today, lots of people like the forms of religion. The, the ceremonies, the events, the celebrations, the special holy days. And uh, we, we, we fall in with them. We'll do these various events. We're going to have the Easter egg hunt and some of these other things. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're merely external forms. And what we really want to do is draw people into the reality of celebrating the life and rebirthing of Jesus Christ and that whole celebration, the springtime celebration, Christians have co-opted those themes and are ready to talk about real life, being born again through Jesus Christ. But the form of religion is totally inadequate, and it becomes apparent that the high priest, whose job it was to do the various priestly duties, including Passover, including the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, uh, including the sacramental events. So if a child was birthed, the mother was to bring a sacrifice, and we find that that's what Mary did, uh, took some turtle doves and went and presented them at the temple, and that there was a perpetual burning of the fires of the uh, sacrificial altar, and on the inside, once a year, they would go in and sprinkle the shed blood. Uh, there would be bulls and goats, blood shed, and there would be the sprinkling. Uh, ultimately, I don't know if we still had the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, but in that place, they would have sprinkled blood once a year for the people. So those are the forms of religion. 
And this is what Caiaphas was in charge of doing. Caiaphas was also in charge of supporting all the synagogue ministries that were going on as the local gatherings. Uh, and they were supervised by the priestly orders, and they would have rabbinical leaders who would then teach people the words about the Bible. Jesus, for instance, would go into the synagogue and read from the scriptures. And so did the uh, other apostles, even uh, in later years as they traveled. Well, in the book of Hebrews, there's a point made that apparently some of the people, possibly in Rome, we're not quite sure, but I think it's Rome, have been wanting to go back as Jews who had become Christians and say, can't we just go back and worship in the temple? Or sorry, in the synagogue there in Rome. And the answer that the writer to the Hebrews gives is he says, you can't do that. That would be like crucifying Jesus again because the authorities back in Jerusalem who supervised the local synagogue, they're the ones that put Jesus to death. And if you go back into the synagogue, you're com coming under the auspices of those who crucified Jesus. That's not an option. Uh, but that's the book of Hebrews. So I'm supposed to be an ax here. Behave yourself, Ron. Come on. So here we are uh, with Caiaphas guarding the institution of religion. And he's the one who back in John chapter 11 said it is best that one man be put to death so that the Romans don't overthrow all that we have here as this great institutional worship. So let's kill Jesus. That was his argument. And he crucified Jesus, who was the Messiah. Talk about not reading his script right. So a faith that was misinformed, wrongly informed, wrongly focused, and we can still see that that's a problem as we go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, 15, where there's a challenge to people who are professing faith but are actually lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it says, beware of those people who have the form of religion but no substance. So that can be true even in the church today. People who love the forms of religion, but not the substance of the one who is to be worshipped. And so we go to Gamaliel. Here is a man who is not fearful like Caiaphas. Caiaphas is afraid. These 10,000 people that have now come to faith, what's happening? This is getting clumsy. Uh, so we have Gamaliel, who as a leader in the Pharisees, is a little less threatened. His position is not going to be overthrown. And he's intrigued by this. So what would we call his faith? I would say he has a search for a reasonable faith. It's sort of, let me just keep puzzling over. I'm a skeptic. I need to be convinced. Just give me enough proof. You know, Theudas, uh, uh, you know, we know about Theudas. Actually, there's a second Theudas who comes along in 44 AD. That would have been even after the time of this event. But there's an earlier Theudas from about 4 BC uh, who did, was one of the leaders in what we call the Zealot Movement, the attempt to overthrow the Romans, and he was killed. And we also know there was this other fellow named John uh, who was from Gamala, the same location where Josephus was when he gave up and became a turncoat. Well, that was part of the rebellion uh, led by the Hasidim, the holy people, uh, and he was put to death as well. But that 
rebellion really didn't wind down. But what's going on, and there's, there's a lot of turmoil going on in Israel in that period of time. And what is going on here is Gamaliel is saying, look at things are still holding together here, so be careful what you do. What if God is behind this movement, behind this man? Now, I'm going to suggest that he is skeptical about the reports of the resurrection of Jesus. But here's a little unspoken piece of information. They all knew where Jesus had been buried. All they had to do was go back and do a little investigation, roll back the stone, and get the moldering body out. It would only have been a 50-day period or maybe 100 days that be, since the crucifixion, throw him on a post, throw him on a, you know, just hang that decaying body up there, and that would have settled it. They didn't have a body to hang. See, that's the unstated reality here. And a guy like Gamaliel should have known better, this sort of skepticism, well, what do I need for proof? Well, let me, let's just wait. I don't know what he's waiting for because 10,000 people realized that Jesus was alive and there were eyewitnesses who had been with him after his resurrection, including Peter and John. And that's why they're coming as eyewitnesses and they're saying, here's the truth that you can count on. So we go to, then to um, skepticism as a not fear, institutional concern with Caiaphas, Gamaliel, skepticism, moderation. Thankfully, his hesitation meant that they couldn't send uh, these guys for their, really for their contempt of the Sanhedrin because they had been told once to be quiet. Now they're hearing a second time, stop it, and they're refusing. So they, basically, they've defanged the Sanhedrin right now. And Gamaliel's resistance to sending them off to Pilate, reading between the lines here, means that as they're set free, what are they going to do? Later on, we'll find out what they do with Stephen. But right now, they're just hanging in the air. So what about Peter and the others? Faith that was secured by their having been with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. That's what we're going to celebrate this next week. Now, let me comment on, on that faith, their confidence in Jesus as raised from the dead. They said, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus, that the Christ is Jesus. They had been taught by Jesus that I am the Messiah. They confessed that. And when he was raised from the dead, they came away with the certainty, the confidence of that, that lasts until today. Now, one of the things you say, well, you know, that was a long, long time ago in a universe far, far away, and, you know, that's just mythical religion. It's not mythical religion. One book that really caught my attention when I was a teenager, I, I have a guest, a guest here. We went to Multnomah together in 66, and uh, thanks for coming, Ron. But back at that time, this book was published. It was by Paul Little, Know Why You Believe. And one of the things that caught my attention, I've got a tag here. I went and looked it up. I pulled it off my shelf. This is one of those things that just stuck in my mind, even without my ever having to footnote it. He says there's three proofs of the resurrection that still continue to till today. The Christian church, the Christian day, the Christian church, the Christian day, and the, um, let me make sure I get the third one down here, uh, the Christian church, uh, the Christian day, and the Christian book. So the point that he's making here is he said, the fact is you don't get tens of thousands of people converting unless they were people who had seen and heard about Jesus and knew that the tomb was indeed open and empty. 
And that's why the, the birthing of Christianity came with the word of mouth spread that death was not an end, that the power of death has been broken. Jesus broke the power of death. And when he was raised, there are witnesses to that. And that's the faith of this group of disciples. And the word was getting out that death is not an end. It's a pathway through the gateway to life with God for those who believe. And that led to the Christian day because the worship day of the Jews was what? The Shabbat, which is Friday, Saturday. And when did they start to have their worship services? What are we doing today? What are we doing next Sunday? We're celebrating the day of the resurrection. And the shift from Friday, Saturday to Sunday is the sign that started way back in the very first event of the celebration of the resurrection. So the Christian day and then the Christian book. What we have in the Christian New Testament are books that are all witnessing to the resurrection. And these are men who died for their faith. They stood for what they believed, even to the point of death, even as we're starting to see here in their faith that was clear and at work. Which then leads us to the point that I want to conclude with is that we are witnesses, they said in 30, verse 32, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What is the witness of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is just as real as you or I are real, that we indeed are made as spiritual beings. And there's two spirits, the spirit from below, the spirit from above. And as Paul writes in Ephesians, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the world. And we're told you can only serve one master, not two, and the Spirit of God is the one who comes as the alternate spirit. And that's the spirit that came upon the disciples. And so my own conversion came years ago when I was raised in a Christian home, but I was starting to think I was living under the form of religion, and there's no such thing as second-generation Christians. There's only first-generation Christians. We have to meet Jesus to be a Christian. You cannot have your parents guide you into certain truths and then you affirm them and say, okay, I, I agree. You have to meet Jesus to be born again. And that's the Spirit of God coming and saying, yep, I'm here. I'm the Spirit of Jesus and I will witness to you. I'm real and I'm alive. And that happened to me in Clyder's Christian Ranch in Montana, 1964, as I was walking away from my faith, walking away as a 16-year-old, saying, I don't think this is true. I said, if you're really there, God, then speak to me. If you can speak, you've taught us, you made us as speakers. Why don't you speak? Huh? Huh? So, here I am. I'm going to walk away unless you speak. And I thought I couldn't just walk away without at least sitting there and waiting for a little while. And nothing happened, of course, and nothing happened for an hour and a half. And finally, I'm parked there looking at the birds, the bees, and the flowers, and the trees, and the river down below. I mentioned this, I think, before. They filmed a movie there, a River Runs Through It, beautiful location in Montana. And after about an hour and a half, I had an independent thought to come to mind. I'm going to attribute that to the Holy Spirit. No voice, no weird stuff, but it was just try reading your Bible, dummy. So I will take that to be the Spirit of God. And I started reading Matthew, and I got to the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, no one can serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other, serve the one despise the other. You cannot keep doing what you're doing, playing a game. Get in or get out. Uh, how do I do this? Well, look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Do they struggle? I'd been doing that for an hour and a half. Okay, God, give you a score of one. This would be a good place to do a movie. 
So as I'm sitting there and saying, so what am I supposed to do? And I got to the part that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And let him, this is Jesus speaking, let him add all these things to you that you're concerned about. Success in life, meaning, purpose, and value. All those things you're worried about, let Jesus, let God take care of those things. And trust me. I said, I'm in. I prayed, and it was like a weight came off my shoulders. I believe in the Holy Spirit because he presented Jesus to me through the word of God, and I prayed and received him as my Lord and Savior. Okay, that's what Easter is about. And we're going to invite a lot of people. And if we have the Spirit of God working in and through us, we're going to have something that will overflow to others and say, you know, it's real. He's risen. He's risen indeed. He's alive. And that's what we get to celebrate next week. I'll get to do it in Poland. You get to do it here. Let me pray for a really good week. Father, we're so thankful for this week, for this celebration of the resurrection. We thank you, Father, for sending the Son. You so loved the world that you sent him to die for us, and that when he was then raised up from death, you broke the power of death. He swallowed death, as promised in Isaiah 25, and now we get to live as followers, as believers, not with the faith of institutionalism, not with the faith of skepticism, but with the faith of certainty, having met Jesus by your Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And so... Those of us who are followers are so thankful for what you've done. And we commit our hearts to you and pray that this would be a wonderful week and that some, maybe perhaps many, would come to meet you as the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name.